Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.info. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. Well, life is more fun with people, isn't it? We really can't. As Josh said, we can't make it in this world without friends and family. We need relationships. And it's natural for us to crave the social interaction. And, and even if we realize uh, some of us are more introverted than others, and yet everybody still needs uh, someone. The reason that's true is because that's the way that God has created us. We are created in God's image And God himself is social, and uh, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Godhead that has existed from before the beginning of time. God has had this eternal relationship within the Trinity that, that we are created in his image. So we too have this desire, this need for relationship. And it's even more importantly, that God desires to interact with his creation. And we have a void in our lives when when we're not interacting with him and and with other people. Interesting tidbit. The average person today meets as many people in one year as our grandparents did in their entire lifetime. Think about that. So what does that mean? That means we are in proximity to people. We are around people all the time. We have the opportunity to meet people uh, more than at any point in history. But being in proximity to people is not the same as being close to people. We need friends. You need friends. And in this letter to the Philippians, Paul introduces us to his friends. I want you to note that in this part of the letter, chapter three, 2, uh, that the, the text interrupts the flow of commands or instructions uh, that began in chapter 2, and he'll pick back up in chapter 3. It's almost as if Paul begins to give this list. Here here are some things you need to do as the body of Christ. And then he says, oh, by the way, let me introduce a couple of my friends to you. And there's a reason for the interruption. And it's really a good reason. We're going to talk about that, that reason today. Friendly joy. Friendly joy. That's our topic. And friendly joy elevates people over convenience. Much of our industry, much of our business today is built around the concept of modern convenience. I'll just be honest, I like that. Uh, That's part of what makes our free market system uh, good and and makes it work and and something that even visitors who come to the United States love about the United States. They love the modern conveniences. And we we can do a lot of things like that, but, but, we cannot treat people that way. We, we cannot treat people the way we treat modern convenience. And Paul develops this beginning in verse 19 of chapter 2. So open your Bibles or pull out your phone, wherever you have that text. And I'll begin reading in verse 19. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ 
to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everybody looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel, the good news. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So, welcome him in the Lord with great joy. And honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourself could not give to me. So Paul interrupts his instructions to introduce his two friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Which, which if you're reading this, trying to study it, you wonder, well, why does Paul do this? Why does he just throw in these two guys into this mix of instructions? I, I think there are at least two reasons. One is that God, you know, God could act alone. God is all-powerful and omnipotent, and he can do whatever he wants to do. He could act alone if he chose, but he chose to use people for his purposes in this world. And Timothy and Epaphroditus are very important to God's purpose in the life of Paul. So Paul switches in verse 19 from how the church interacts with the world to discuss how the body of Christ interacts within itself and uses two friends as example. It's a welcome interruption to the text. It's an interruption that God wants us to have. How well do we really treat each other? Which is really the interaction that we should have when we share communion together. The question that Paul told the church in Corinth to ask is, how well are you treating each other? Are you thinking only of your own concerns? Or are you thinking of the interests of others? So let's, let's reflect seriously on this, because when we look out for the interests of others, you are actually looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ. There are two predominant themes in Philippians. Well, Jim, I thought it was joy. Well, joy is that overarching thing, but there are two themes that really stick out under joy, and that is partnership and unity. And we not only find joy in Jesus, we find joy in doing His mission together, in partnership and unity. We saw this in chapter 1, the joy that comes from having a partnership in the gospel, this shared sacrifice for a goal. There's something that bonds you together when you, when you share a sacrifice for something that, that nothing else does. 
And this continually points us to Jesus Christ. In, in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul began a set of commands, these instructions about being unified as a church, as a congregation, having one mind and, and acting as one person in one body. So it begs the question, how do we look out for each other? Well, football's back, and the NFL's back, and the NFL has a new commercial. I'm going to play a clip from you. Have you seen this? Bring it in! Today, nothing else matters. As long as those beside you and those behind you know that you got their back. Who got my back? I got your back. Who got my back? I got your back. Who got my back? I got your back. Who got my back? We got your back. Who got my back? We got your back. I was going to have y'all do that, but. So I was going to ask, how do we look out for each other? Or I could say, how do we got each other's backs, you know? Well, let me, let, me, let me share with you what Paul says. First of all, the way we have each other's back, look out for each other, is we invest in each other. People are not conveniences. That's the thing we've got to remember. We, we need to think of people as assets, life assets. We, we should invest ourselves into the lives of others. We ought to be willing, as Paul described, to pour out our lives and desires into others. It's not about our preferences. It's about what other people need. And as Jesus emptied himself, we should empty ourselves our, of our own selfishness be able to serve others, empty ourselves into others. In verse 19, he began, I hope in the Lord Jesus. The first step, the first step to be able to be in, invest in other people is to place yourself on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We sing that this morning. I hope that you never sing the song Firm Foundation without realizing we're placing ourselves on the foundation of Jesus Christ, which gives us the impetus to, to, to go and, and, and be like him. Because without Jesus, you will be wrongly invested. You, you can't properly invest in others unless you know Jesus. And so Paul continued, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. You see, Paul wanted to celebrate with the church that he had partnered with. And so he said, then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. Cheer me up. That's, that's what Paul said. That's the idea, that we are to be each other cheerleaders, if, if you please. And when you when we cheer each other on, you are less consumed with your own success and your own desires, your own selfishness, and more concerned about others. That's, that's what cheering others on does for you. It allows you to envelop yourself in this idea, uh, this example of Jesus Christ, so that your friend's success ought to inspire you instead of create selfishness or jealousy or spite inside of you. So we invest in each other, and we are inspired by the success of each other. The second way we can look out for each other or have each other's back is to be concerned about each other. Verse 20 talks about our human default setting of being self-preservationists. Self-preservationists. When he said we should not seek our own interest... We should look out for others' interests. He said, I have nobody else like Timothy who will show genuine concern for your welfare because everybody else looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Followers of Jesus aren't about 
self-preservation, but about helping others. Like the person who jumps in to try to rescue a, a drowning person. Have, you know, whether you've seen uh, that acted out in a TV or whether you've actually seen that happen, maybe somebody here has done that, jumped in to try to save a drowning person. But not everybody wants to take the risk. Why do you do that? Why do they jump in and save them? And the answer is always because she needed saving or he needed saving. That's the reason. It's not what others are not doing. It's about what needs to be done. Somebody, well, why didn't somebody jump in and save them? It's not about what they're not doing. It's about what needs to be done in front of us and the need to step up and do. You consider the phrase that he used in uh, verse 2 of chapter 2 when he talked about us being like-minded, like-minded believers, genuinely care about each other. Like-minded means we, we bleed the same. It doesn't mean you always agree. It doesn't mean you always have the same interest. It doesn't mean you even have the same temperament. Like-minded in this context means you have the same soul. We have the same mission. As partners, we may be very different from each other. We may have different interests and different perspectives, but we have the same mission. We, we are seeking the same God. We are share, serving the same Savior. We are sharing the same message. And so we're equal in spirit. None of us has special privilege in Jesus Christ. None of us are spiritually superior in Jesus Christ. And third... We have a desire to serve one another. Paul commended Timothy for having a servant's heart. In verse 22, he says, You know his proven character. You know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. That's a very close relationship that Paul and Timothy had together. Timothy uniquely sustained Paul in his ministry. See, Paul had no children of his own. But Timothy was like a son to Paul. We know from research, modern research, that the more adults that invest into a student's life, the more likely that young person is going to sustain his faith. It's not just parents, but others who are investing in one younger. You know, we, we talked about that. That's very much part of who we are, having one younger and one older in our life. And it's, and it's not just about, well, the parents are responsible. They should do it all. It's, it's not. Being part of a church family means that there are other adults also speaking into, investing into the life of young people. If just one person is investing in the life of a young person, there's a pretty high dropout rate. But if five, six seven, are investing, there's much stronger likelihood that they remain in, in their faith and in church together. Epaphroditus, in verse 30, said, risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, the, the law of the Roman Empire was, was really very harsh, very brutal. There was no mercy in it. It was a very harsh and brutal time to live. And Epaphroditus, because when you're, when you're under arrest, when you're in prison, uh, you know, all, the only thing the Roman uh, legal system provided was a prison, a cell, chains maybe, stocks maybe, but that's it. You want to eat? 
you better hope your family or your friends bring some food. If you need medical care, you better hope they can bring what you need. And so that's, where, that's the role Epaphroditus had played. And he was willing to serve in this very risky area that was lacking. He was willing to step up when there was a need, which is a sign of a, of a healthy church. When no one lacks, when the church fills in the gaps, when, when, when even when it's not so safe, you step into the gap. Are you willing? Willing to risk your life to make up for what was lacking. That's what Epaphroditus did. Well, in this mix of friends, he gives us a model for this friendly joy. When you look at them, I described Timothy as, as the risk-taker friend. I mean, both, both were risk-takers, but, but both were willing to lay it on the line for them. But Timothy is an unusual character here. Timothy was a child of a mixed marriage. His dad was Greek. His mom was a Jew. He had a secular upbringing, but he had this spiritual input poured into him by his mom and by his grandmother. And Paul takes him in like a spiritual father that he's never had. And Paul plans to send Timothy back to get news from Philippi eventually. But Paul, excuse me, but, but he sends Epaphroditus first. Timothy was this true partner with Paul. When he said in verse 20, I have no one else like him. He looks after the interest of Jesus Christ. He risked it all for Jesus and partnership with Paul. You might remember the story in Acts 16. Timothy is there in this very life-threatening situation that, that Paul found himself in. Friends like Timothy are rare, who stick with you, no matter what the risk. Cherish that kind of friend. Be that kind of friend. Now, Epaphroditus, I would call a servant friend. He's the one who was willing to do more for you. And it seems they were always doing, somebody who's always doing more for you. You know, well, you've done enough, but they always send to do more. You should be that kind of friend for others. That friend that just does more, just steps in and does more for other people. Friends like Epaphroditus just reach out and serve. Not expecting anything in return. Maybe not even asking, do you need this? They just step out and do it. Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church to Paul to serve Paul's needs. He comes with a financial gift for Paul from the church, and he stayed with him to assist him uh, in his ministry and in, and in uh, his difficulties. Now, Paul says he's sending him back. He's sending him back to the Philippian church so that he might serve them again in, uh, because that's just who he is. Notice the five words that describe Epaphroditus because this is how the church ought to serve together. He is my brother. Uh, that means that we're family. You know, you know uh, Trenton uh, mentioned that this morning in communion. We, the, the communion should be a reminder of this, that we're a, a family together, and we need to be in this together. And he uses the word co-worker, which means the church co-labors together. We work together. We have a, a common mission, and we work together to see this come, come to pass. He's a fellow soldier, which means we struggle, we battle alongside each other it's not always it's not always pretty sometimes it's difficult 
You might remember Paul wrote to the Ephesians in the sixth chapter of that letter, uh, speaking to them about spiritual warfare that he was engaged in as Jesus' follower. There will be times when you are spiritually beat up. There will be times when you are spiritually bruised and wounded and needing mending. That's a time for a brother or sister. The other word is messenger. He said, Epaphroditus was your messenger. That, that means the church has a message. We have a message to bring. And we together bring the good news of Jesus Christ. We may gather together and hear in this room together, and we may declare what it is we believe, but when we leave this room and we go out into the world and where we live all of the rest of the time, we also are carrying this message of Jesus Christ, of God's love and salvation. And here's one that's, we don't see this because it's caught up in the words, take care of. Paul said, you sent him to take care of my needs. That's the word minister, serve, which means the church serves people together. Whether you're working together on a on a Habitat house, or whether you're working together to feed uh, children, or whether you're working together to teach class, or maybe working together in some other outreach uh, way. That's what we do. We serve people together. Paul said in verse 27 that in, this, in his attempts to serve Paul, and, uh, excuse me, that in his attempts to serve Paul, Epaphroditus almost died. That's how far the risk went. And yet in verse 26, Paul said, and yet he's more concerned about the, the impact of the, the news of his illness is going to have on you. He's worried that what's going to, the effect it'll have on you. And so that's a true friend who cares more for others than he does for himself. You know, I was thinking about that kind of a role. This is the kind of role that moms often play in a family, mothers who, who, uh, who get hurt and they go on uh, serving. They go on taking care of their family because mothers tend to be more concerned about their children and caring for them than they are their own pain. Mothers kind of set aside the pain, kind of ignore the pain, to go ahead and be sure and take care of their family, sometimes even to, uh, to their own ill. The last, the last friend named here, well, it's actually officially not named as a friend, but we sang it, and it's true, and it's Jesus. I call Jesus the sacrificial friend because Jesus will never fail you as a friend. The, the Old Testament uh, wisdom verse out of Proverbs 18 says, One who has unreliable friends will come to a ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That verse points us to who Jesus Christ is. That's the kind of friend he is. He is the ultimate friend, the, the friend who, who gave up everything for us. We, we, we sang this too in the, in the song, he, uh, he Came from Heaven to Earth to Show Us the Way. That's who Jesus is, the sacrificial friend who came from God and is the reason that Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus serve each other. It's important when we serve each other, when we serve others, that people know the reason we do this is not because I'm such a good guy or such a good gal, but because of Jesus Christ, this friend I have who has given everything for me. He is the friend who pulls us all together. He is the glue that holds the church together. He is the Savior and the Lord who risked it all to serve the world and sacrificed his life for us. 
our world calls that kind of risk-taking reckless. This is the one relationship you can't do without, the one friend you can't do without. So let me ask you this morning, what do you do with this kind of friend? The kind of friend, with this kind of sacrifice that he offered of his life on the cross, with the fact that he is the only mediator with God. What do you do with this type of friend, with the fact that he's the one who came and dealt with your sin when nobody else could, that he arose from death to new life, which nobody else could do? What do you do with this type of friend who ascended to heaven and is reigning now? What do you do with all of that? And the answer is you surrender. You surrender to his love, and you receive the redemption that only he can give. You you surrender in trust, which means you're confessing who he is. He is God. He is Messiah. He is Savior. In our baptism, we confess his death, burial, and resurrection, receiving his grace, his forgiveness, and indwelling of his spirit, the power of God on your life. That's the response that this kind of friend calls to to surrender. We're going to close our time this morning by singing a song that points us towards that surrender, the same kind of surrender that, that Abby Uh, decided to embrace last Sunday night, the the same kind of surrender we've seen over these past several months of some of our young people coming to the point of and saying, we recognize who Jesus is and we surrender all to him. May that be our take. May that be our posture this morning as we stand together and sing this song. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.info. There you'll find event calendars, important announcements, ways to give, and to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.